Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monday Night Wars. It is December 4th, 1995. And always, we are live with WCW Monday Night Nitro from the America West Arena in Phoenix, Arizona. With me, as always, is Joseph Rojas, and I am Scott Kaufman. Joseph, what's the word? The word is good. Is that foretelling of tonight's episode? No, it's just a lyric. Oh. I think it's a pretty banger episode, though. We'll, we'll go through my notes, and, I, and I'll figure it out, but I'm pretty sure it's a pretty good episode. Let's get into it, because we have Eric Bischoff telling us that the WCW Executive Committee has put Hulk Hogan, The Giant, and Ric Flair on probation, and they could be indefinitely suspended if they act up tonight. What do you think about this, Joseph? I think it's a great storyline. I'm not joking. I'm, I'm being uh, being serious here. I think it's a really cool idea. I don't think they're going to execute very well, though. I just I it's a hard one. It's a hard one to manage. And you're talking about one of your biggest stars, but they're not the only company that's ever done it. They're going to do it a million times with other companies and other wrestlers. I think it's a cool idea. This is one of those quintessential wrestling storylines, right? The, you're on probation. If you act up, you're going to get in trouble. Save it for the match kind of thing. Yeah, it's been done a million times. All that matters is the execution. So let's get into it. Let's see how it is executed tonight but before we get to that we got a match we got harlem heat with sister sherry versus the american males marcus alexander bagwell and scotty riggs for the wcw world tag team championship of note colonel robert parker whisks sister sherry away because we will not stop with that horrendous storyline AC Green is in the house and Harlem Heat win to retain the titles in a seven minute, 47 second match. Joseph, break it down for me. First of all, let's talk about AC Green. AC Green, who on, at this time is on the Phoenix Suns, but is a Lakers legend. And we are Lake both, show. both Southern California boys, though we don't live in Southern California california anymore that's huge love me some ac green that being said the match itself is pretty good it's a pretty standard tag team match although i will say i forgot two things number one i forgot that wcw had tag teams because it's been a minute it's been a minute since we've seen a, a tag team match on top of that i don't remember when harlem heat won the titles was that like a saturday night thing i have no idea I'm pretty sure they didn't have the titles last time we were with them. So who's to say this is the unfortunate reality of watching Nitro much later. You you end up having this situation where you can't always go back and watch Saturday nights. So you do kind of have plot points and storylines that just kind of get left to the wayside. I don't remember last time we talked about Harlem Heat having the titles. Unfortunately, that's here. As far as the match goes, it's a pretty fun match. I think it's really well done. I remember seeing Colonel Robert Parker walk out there, and my very first thought was Scott is in heaven right now. And then he gives her this present that you mentioned, and the cameraman does just, just a horrible job of showing us what this present is. I mean, couldn't have gotten a worse angle. He's just behind the both of them, like their backs are turned, and they never reveal the present until it's like too late, and she's already like walking away. And I think it's a ring, and I think she gets a shawl as well. 
So that's, I mean, to be fair, pretty nice presents for for a lady like she is. A nice shawl and a ring. Those are nice. Is it an engagement ring? They don't really explain. They just say it's a ring. So you're left to your imagination on it. But overall, I did actually enjoy it. With with regards to the Robert Parker Sister Sherry stuff, I know you're tired of it. I know you wish it would end. But as far as just a segment in general, I enjoyed it. It gets a B. Good match. Hate Colonel Robert Parker. And I like Sister Sherry on a personal level. But I do not like this storyline. And it just spoils the whole thing for me because I am so tired of it. It's weird. It's creepy. Maybe it's a hindsight 2020 thing where I know too much about Sister Sherry's background and what she's going through at this time, or at least maybe not even at this time. Although I think she is. She's starting to look a little like she's going through it. But what she ultimately goes through, I just I don't want it. It's weird. It's gross. I don't like it. Get Sister Sherry some help. Don't do this. Please, God, don't do this. And on that note, Mean Gene, he interviews Sting and Lex Luger. Luger has a title shot tonight. And if he wins, he has Sting at Starcade. Joseph, you got any thoughts about this promo? Well, first off, I got a great Sting's outfit, right? I mean, the, I mean, the people want it, Scott. And and today he's wearing orange and black, which is not his best outfit, but presumably it is a nod to the Phoenix Suns, who at this time had a lot of black in their their gear. It would change a few years after, but. This is where they're at right now. So it gets a B. It's, it's pretty pretty good overall. I like that they're sticking with the, you know, these guys are friends. Regardless of everything else going on in the outside, their friendship maintains. And I think that's beautiful. I also like that Lex actually agrees with Sting's assessment. They're basically predicting that it's going to come down to the two of them facing each other. And at that point, whatever happens, happens. May the best man win. I thought it was a pretty strong segment for Lex, especially because as much as I love Sting, he's not the the best at carrying someone else in a promo. Overall, I liked it. It gets a C for me. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but I thought it was a pretty nice segment between the two of them. And it was short, which I like too. Yeah, it's not bad. Sting's always good. I think, you know, he carries it. He certainly lifts Lex up. Overall, good promo. What what is this though? Like I thought Jimmy Hart had a sinister plan to break them up and so far it's not working. Kevin Sullivan the Taskmaster is going to be very upset with Jimmy cuz we were told there was a plan. But after that though, Sting's got a match. He goes right from the promo to the match. Sting versus Kurosawa. Apparently Robert Parker can't manage Kurosawa tonight because he's busy with Sister Sherry backstage. God help us. And that means Kurosawa forgets how to wrestle because this is a squash match. Sting defeats Kurosawa, two minutes, 38 seconds. Joseph, what'd you think about it? I mean, I got to start again with my boy, AC Green, getting a high five from the Stinger. I actually really like that they do this in WCW. I don't think I've seen it happen in WWF too much. I can remember one specific moment that it happens with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, where he's kind of cutting a semi-promo and goes right out to the ring. I like that they do this in WCW. It kind of gives it like, like a real fight feel, like... We've just had this this intense stare down or whatever, and now I'm going right into the ring to show you how it's done. I think it's really fun. I think that idea at least is a lot of fun. The match itself, like you said, it's a glorified squash match. Kurosawa is not a jobber by any stretch. He's definitely one of their kind of you know uh, stout mid-carters. He's not really upper, but he's not lower mid-card. He's right there in the middle. They put on a good enough match, but unfortunately, it's really just to put over Sting. And their explanation of, you know, Robert Parker not being there so it doesn't help him doesn't really 
go over too well for me. I gave it a C plus because I can't give it a B because it's not good enough to be a B. And also it is kind of a squash match, but I didn't, I didn't hate it. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. So C plus for me. I, I don't really have any problem with the match. You're right. It is a squash match. It's to put Sting over. I mean, if that's if that's the purpose of it, they did it. I think it's fine, although I don't think there's much more to say about that beyond the fact that we still got to continue this Robert Parker, Sister Sherry thing. But that is, I think, the end of it for the night. So at least we have that going for us. So overall, a positive. After that, though, we got another match. The Giant versus Scott Norton. The Giant is joined by Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster. I thought this was a fun feat of strength, although it is fairly short. It's two minutes, 43 seconds. And the Giant, as you can guess, defeats Scott Norton. Joseph, what would you think of this one? Scott, I think you'd be surprised to hear that this, to me, is the best Giant match we've seen up to this point. I don't know if I... I think I believe you. I know you like Scott Norton, and Scott Norton's a worker, man. He puts in for it. But here's why I liked this match so much. Number one... They don't make Scott Norton look like a weakling because they've kind of been, I wouldn't say giving him a strong build, but they've been giving him this build of like, he could beat you just like that. That's why his nickname is the flash because it goes back to his arm wrestling days. That's how quickly you could beat people in an arm wrestling match. I really thoroughly enjoy Eric Bischoff's commentary on this, talking about how Scott Norton bounced at a bar called grandma's on the river in 1986. And that's where Eric Bischoff met him. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's just a cool story. I mean, it could be completely fabricated. I have no idea, but it's an interesting little tidbit. Scott Norton hits an atomic drop on the giant, and it is incredibly impressive because you do have to lift him all the way up. And I'm yeah, sure he probably jumped a little bit with it, but still, you got to carry a almost 500 pound man. That's very impressive. And then drop him on your knee and not snap your knee. That's awesome. Then giant hits his choke slam. And not only two things about this one, it's actually really incredibly impressive that he pulls a choke slam off on Scott Norton because Scott Norton is, is not, not a small person by any stretch. On top of that, Scott Norton gets serious air with it. And it, it's, it makes it look like probably the best choke slam that he's ever delivered because it just, this isn't like a Scott Norton. I love Scott Norton thing. It's just, Scott Norton really does a really good job of kind of putting over the giant without making himself look weak and they both you know they're both at this point giant doesn't get enough credit for how athletically gifted he is because really he's not been put in a position to be so but you do get to see him kind of play around with that a little bit in this match and i enjoyed it it's it's not the best match there's no way it's going to get an a for me it gets a b minus for me but that b minus i still think is probably the best segment we've seen of the giant so far Like I said, my note is a fun feat of strength, and that's what I thought of this match. Scott Norton didn't get squashed. He gives the Giant a run for his money, and in that, I think it's actually even better for the Giant storyline, right? Like, Scott Norton's a big dude. Scott Norton's been destroying people, too. So you got the two guys that are destroying people. Giant has to fight for his life, but he wins. He beats, beats like, the strongest dude there is, and if he can beat him, he can beat anyone, right? I think it helps the storyline. And Scott Norton loses to the Giant. Like, okay, Scott Norton maybe isn't as strong as the Giant, but Scott Norton is still pretty strong. And they just, I thought, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really liked the back and forth. I thought they did a lot of cool, like I said, feats of strength where they were just kind of lifting each other up. And it's like, how could you lift that dude? It certainly showed 
the athleticism, the strength of both these guys. And I enjoyed it. I was like, what, what crazy thing are they going to do next? And it was fun this, this is kind of the epitome of two big meaty men slapping meat. And you love to see it. 100%. You love to see it. You know what else I love to see, Joseph? What's that, Scott? Ric Flair. And we have a Ric Flair interview. Ric Flair is with me and Gene and Charles Barkley. Apparently, Ric Flair and Charles Barkley are friends. They're pals. Flair says that Sting and Lex better watch out because he might make Charles Barkley a horseman. Joseph, what'd you think about this promo? Realistically, the whole point of this promo is just a crossover for celebrity appeal. WWF has done this a million times. It's one of the big things about the original WrestleMania was you had people like Cindy Lauper and Mr. T there who were big stars at the time. That's what the point of this promo is. It's to say, hey, we're in Phoenix and we got your biggest star, which I would say in 1995, Sir Charles Barkley probably is their biggest star. They haven't really... They're, they're, the Diamondbacks haven't taken off yet. They haven't gone, you know, they don't win a World Series until 2001. So this is probably the guy. On top of that, this does a lot of benefit for the NBA as well as it does for WCW because NBA is having their big TV deal with TNT at this time. This is kind of the start of that whole trajectory for them. This makes sense to me from, from all friends, from a, from a cross-promotional standpoint. There is one thing I take issue with, Scott, and I wonder if you can guess what it is. Why don't you tell me, Joseph? Why don't you tell me? Ric Flair, whom I love, calls Sir Charles Barkley the best basketball player alive. And I had to make sure that my facts were straight on this. Number one, Michael Jordan is already back from retirement. Nobody is the best basketball player alive when Michael Jordan has come back from retirement. Number two, when Michael Jordan was on retirement, Hakeem Olajuwon was the best basketball player alive. He was top five in points per game, top five in rebounds per game, top five in blocks per game, 93-94 Defensive Player of the Year, 93-94 MVP, 93-94 NBA Champion, 93-94 NBA Finals MVP. So as much as I love me some Ric Flair and as much as I love me some Sir Charles Barkley, he wasn't even top five best basketball players alive. Look, Ric Flair's doing what Ric Flair does. He's putting a friend over. That is Ric Flair, and he does it again. He's just helping a buddy out, just put just putting his man over. And I could respect that, Scott. But on the on the on the the pay per view podcast that we did, I gave Ric Flair his flowers for his beautiful Virginia Squires reference with Dr. J. So if you're gonna give me basketball references and be factual about it, you got to be consistent. He ain't consistent here. But it still gets a B for me because it was fantastic and I loved it. I mean, how are you going to go wrong? It's Ric Flair. It's Ric Flair being absurd. I loved it. Fantastic. I think you're right, though. I, I do find this the basketball crossover, the sports crossovers in general, because WCW also does this with some football players and those sorts of things. It serves kind of multiple angles, right? Obviously, it's a cross promotion thing for ba- for basketball. At least this is for basketball because, you know, TNT, TBS, basketball, Superstation kind of thing. But also, I think it serves to show that, hey, wrestling is a sport. It's serious, and it's taken seriously by the top athletes in other sports. So look how serious this is. It's real. I think it works. 
I think people like it, especially you're in Phoenix. You got Charles Barkley. You got AC Green. People are going to like that in Phoenix. After that, we got our main event. We got Lex Luger. We got the Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. And it's for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. This match is wild. Randy Anderson goes down. Jimmy Hart tries to interfere. Ric Flair runs in. And he hits Savage with a foreign object. And then he styles and profiles. But Hulk Hogan chases Ric Flair back to the ring. Hulk stops Anderson from counting Luger's pin. Anderson wakes up. He starts counting Luger's pin. Hulk Hogan says, not so fast, but he touches the ref. That's a DQ. And Lex Luger defeats the macho man, Randy Savage, by DQ. 13 minutes. 56 seconds because of the DQ. The title does not change hands. After the bell, Hogan beats up everyone, even Sting, albeit accidentally. Sting gets in Hogan's face while Savage tries to play Peacemaker. Joseph, break this wild ride down for me. I got a lot of notes on this, so I'll try and be quick and succinct. Out of the commentary team, Mongo, interestingly enough, has the to me, the best line of the night, which is when Lex Luger is coming down to the ring, he says, success is about the journey, not the destination. That man has taken the wrong road. I thought that was a fantastic line from Mongo. I thought it was really good. Mach comes out and he's wearing neon green and neon pink with a white jacket. It looks fantastic. Gets a B plus for me. Overall, this is a very fun match. For a lot of the reasons that you kind of mentioned of how wild it is, this is kind of the chaotic wild that you enjoy. Because it's actually telling a story. But on top of that, it's making both men look strong. Lex not losing is great for Lex. Because you've been pushing him kind of to the moon. And you kind of need to keep doing that. But also, Mach doesn't lose. So this could also have been a thing where you could have had a draw potentially. But I think this way works better. Because you have this problem of, is Hulk Hogan going to get suspended? What's the deal with Mach? What's the deal with Lex? What's the deal with Sting? I like kind of the confusion it's creating. I think it does a really good job with that. Jim, Jimmy Hart is actually really annoying in this match with the megaphone. At first, when I started hearing it, I kind of rolled my eyes. But as the match was going on, I just kind of sit back and really think about it for a second. And I went, you know, the whole point of Jimmy Hart is to be annoying. So even though I haven't liked a lot of his promos lately, I think he does a good job here. He's supposed to be unbearable and he's doing a good job with that. I don't think he's doing it to put himself over. I think he's doing it because that's the, that's his job. And I like that. And in that way, that to me, that puts you over doing, doing your job properly. So, so Jimmy Hart, good job on that. Like you said, obviously there's all the shenanigans that happen at the end. And then the interesting thing that really kind of culminates in this Hogan going after Hart and Luger and he swings at Luger and misses when Sting pushes Luger out of the way. Again, good guy Sting being a best friend, he hits Sting instead. And then Sting confronts Hogan and pushes him and Mach has to separate the both of them. And I love this because you've been playing this angle with them of are they really friends? They're all kind of on the fringe. I think they do a really good job of this right here. I'm potentially a little tired of Hulk Hogan and what he's kind of been doing. But I think he does a very good job in this. Overall, the segment gets an A for me. I like the whole thing. I thought it was wild. You're right. It's the wild, fun. It's the wild, good kind of wild. The fun kind of wild. The match is wild from start to finish. I thought the DQ was was smart. I thought it was a good idea. 
I thought Hogan was justified in breaking the pin, right? They cheated. He's not going to let his buddy Randy Savage lose the title to cheating. He wants he wants the title, but he wants it fair and square. Hogan wants title, but he wants it fair and square. He wants whoever he's facing to have it for the right reasons. He's going to help his buddy for in the meantime, keep the title. It wasn't whiny Hogan like we've seen the last couple of nights. So that was nice. It was good. I thought, you know, like I said, I think the whole thing was good. I enjoyed it. It was fun to watch. It was wild. Hulk Hogan beating up everybody was not bad. Like, I know I'm getting hot, tired of Hulkamania, but but this was not bad. Next week, I was looking at my notes for next week, and my God, I, I, I'm going to have some things to say about that main event. But tonight, I thought Hulk Hogan was okay. After that, though, we have an interview. Mean Gene is in the ring with Hogan, Sting, and Savage. Gene warns Hogan about being on probation. Messing with a referee is going to get him in trouble, but Hogan doesn't care. Sting says he's with Hogan, and he was, and he's just trying to get Luger on the righteous path. Sting compares it to Hogan sticking by Savage, despite Savage's paranoia. Which, good point. Hogan tells Sting to keep Luger out of his business, and Sting says he will. Joseph, what'd you think about this to end the night? So again, I think there's a lot to kind of go into on this. Hogan, like you said, is questioning what side Sting is on. And, and I think that has kind of gotten old because it's like, how many times does he kind of have to be there for you guys? But, you know, whatever. You're, they're going to do it. That's fine. But he, he defends himself again and defends his friendship, like you said. And I actually wrote down his, his line because I thought it was... I thought it was a really, really great line from Sting. I think this is one of one of the best fiery promos I've heard from him, especially kind of not attacking Hogan, but kind of in defense of Hogan, you know, or defending against Hogan. Rather, he says, would you run out on a friend? Would you run out on the macho man? Let me ask you another question. Sometimes I question this guy right here, meaning the macho man. He's a heck of a guy, but sometimes I question him and some of his motives but I am not going to down the macho man. So why do you every single week have to down the total package? That is a great line. That's a fantastic, because it sums up perfectly where the tension is between essentially these four men, even though Lex Luger's not in the ring. This is the tension between all of them. And it sums it up perfectly. And Hogan says that macho was the first one to warn them about Luger. I think that's kind of true. That's fair. Sting said it's possible that Luger didn't get the chances that he deserved from the two of them. He's kind of pushing it back on them. And honestly, Sting is killing Hogan in this promo. Not in like a, you're a horrible person kind of way. The argument is staying on point from Sting. Hogan doesn't really know how to do the same thing. This is a bit of a knock on Hogan. I don't mean it in a super negative way because one of the things that's so great about Hulk Hogan and his character is he is so boisterous and really out there and kind of in your face. And he can kind of tie a lot of things together very much the same way Macho Man can and, you know, Ric Flair. But the difference is, is that those two tend to bring the point back. But when Hogan loses the point, he doesn't know how to get back on track. Or when he needs to move off the point, he stays on it too long. He does both those things interchangeably. Whereas Sting has a really good, even though he's not really as all over the place as those other three men, 
he's far better at staying to the point at kind of almost all times when it needs to be. And when he needs to move, he can move as well. And you're seeing that Hogan with his normal kind of shtick doesn't really know how to deal with this. Again, he's not doing anything negative, but you can see it's almost making him uncomfortable because he can tell that sting in this moment is kind of winning over the crowd and the audience at home because his points make a lot of sense. So finally he just kind of ends it like abruptly and shakes stings hand and says, you're my friend, dude. Sting says, like you said, he'll do everything in his power to keep Lex Luger out of their hair. Sting gets the last word on this. And I was very shocked by that. The segment gets a B plus interestingly enough, because in a promo Hulk Hogan takes it down a notch, unfortunately, but sting kills it. It's a B plus for the promo. To me, the show in general was a B plus. I loved it. I completely agree. I don't really have much more to add. I just want to reiterate one of your points about how this is sting, you know, is sting or isn't sting with them. And yeah, it's the angle they're working. So they got to keep working it. I, I understand that, but I agree with you. I'm tired of it. And I'm especially tired of it because we just had at World War Three. We had a whole promo about how Hulk Hogan isn't going to doubt his friends anymore. They're their best friends forever. And he's been doubting them ever since. It's what was the point? There's no rhyme or reason to this. It's just Hogan rambling. This was Hogan rambling. You're right. As soon as Hogan could tell he was losing the promo and Sting was getting over on him on the promo, we had to end it. It's over. And that's the night. Tune in next week to see Hulk Hogan and Sting face Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. But the night's still young for us because we have W. WF Raw at the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia. We open with Vince hyping Razor Ramon and Dean Douglas for the Intercontinental title. And Sid and Marty Jannetty have a match. So they get some dueling promos. And I know you're a fan of dueling promos, Joseph. Tell me what you think about this. So far, we're off to a really good start for Raw. And, and they have to be because Nitro killed it. Yeah, well, let's get into it because our first match is the British Bulldog versus Bob Holly. It's a squash match, right? As you know, it's going to be the British Bulldog defeats Bob Holly. Joseph, what do you think about this match? Honestly, I was really impressed with this. All, all, all things considered, I know it's a squash match. It, I, this is what I would call a glorified squash match, right? You have somebody that the audience definitely knows. Spark plug Bob Holly has been on TV for I would say close to a year now, if not a little longer, I can't I can't exactly remember the, the you know the exact date, but he's he's been a notable fixture. I will say, interestingly enough, his gear is starting to grow on me, and you know this. I trashed it when we first started watching together. The audience knows this guy; they know he's not going to win by this by this point. You know, he's not he's not you know hardcore Holly, which he becomes many you know many years later. He's just you know, this, this lower mid card guy, but honestly, Bulldog lets him get a lot of offense in. And I, I thought that was a really nice touch because yeah, it's a squash, but I I wouldn't say there's any moment where you think Holly's going to win, but you at least get to see what he can actually do. This is the second time in in recent weeks that they've done this with Bob Holly, 
where they had him at the pay-per-view in kind of what we expected to be really just kind of a bad match with, with, you know, quote unquote jobbers at the time. And he really got to shine in that as well. And they're letting him shine here too. Overall, I thought it was really well done. It got a B minus for me. I thought it was one of the better glorified squash matches I've seen. Bulldog wins as he should based off his card position. But there is one interesting note, which is that the commentary team really is pushing this idea. They kind of created last week of, it's Bret Hart versus the world. They're not saying that. That's how I'm summing it up. But they're really pushing it now. They mentioned Taker and Bulldog and Bob Backlund and Diesel and even Jerry the King Lawler all vying for his belt. And I like that. I think that, that was a good use of commentary space, especially because Bulldog is one of those guys and it's one of his matches. So I thought that was a pretty good idea. Yeah. Like you said, it's a squash match. But glor- I like glorified squash match. That's that's a good term because Bob Holly does. He wrestles well. It's he gives it as good as he gets it. He has to lose because he's up against the British Bulldog. But it's not one where like he just gets smashed. He 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 gives he puts up a good fight match. Fine. You're right about Bret Hart versus the world because after the match, we are reminded of Bob Backlund attacking Bret Hart. We're told Brett will face Backlund in a non-title match in next week's show. And Jerry, the King Lawler, interviews Bob Backlund. He's in the crowd campaigning again. He's running for president. If you've forgotten, who could forget? Backlund is upset when he discovers it isn't a title match and ends up putting the sound guy in the crossface chicken wing. Joseph, what'd you think about this segment? This segment got a D plus from me. And the plus is exclusively because Bob Backlund's bow tie is a banger this week. It's not good. It's not enjoyable. I know they're going with it. I know they really don't have the talent available or that they believe are available because they've definitely got some some shining stars, some, some diamonds in the rough, as it were. But they're really rudderless with a lot of these angles that they're, that they're trying to push. And this one might be one of the worst ones they're trying to push, which is making Bob Backlund in, in this character and gimmick relevant in 1995. It's not a knock on Bob Backlund's career. He's got a very, very historic career and deservedly so. But this just doesn't work. More terrible Bret Hart rivalries. It's just another example of how I think you said one of your friends said Bret Hart has a bad 1995 and it's December 4th. The year's almost over and Bret Hart still having a bad 1995 Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund was a good wrestler like what? 10, 15 years ago. Why? Why are we doing this? You love the old versus new. And I think that would be a far better use of Bob Backlund than what they're doing with him. Yeah. Instead he's campaigning for president and he's got a beef with Bret Hart for some reason. Oh, okay. You know, even there you could do some like storyline about Bob Backlund's immigration policy and cuz Bret Hart's Canadian, he's, you know, or something. I don't know. You could do something stupid like that. They don't do anything. I don't know why he's running for president. I don't know why he has a rivalry with Bret Hart. These two things don't connect in any way. I I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. I think a lot of maybe maybe a lot of WWF's talent hit their like appearance quota for the year 
and we're just throwing the kitchen sink because this night there's a lot of like squash matches. Up next, we have a squash match. We have Fatu versus the Brooklyn Brawler, and Fatu defeats the Brooklyn Brawler. That's the match. Joseph, I mean, do you have any thoughts about this match or should we go on? No, see, this is an actual squash match to me. Like, yeah, I enjoy Fatu. I'd like to see him get more airtime, do more. He's fun. He's always been fun. He's fun for his entire career. I would have liked more with him. It's a squash match. Whatever. After that, though, Doc Hendricks has an- announces that Diesel has taken up Owen Hart's open contract challenge. So if you remember last week, Owen Hart issued an open contract for In Your House. Anyone that wanted to go up against him got a shot, and he was going to put them in the hospital like he claims he put Shawn Michaels in the hospital. Diesel's taking him up on it, and we have a match for In Your House. You know, Moving on, we have Razor Ramon versus Dean Douglas. A real match. We have a match, and it's for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. But Razor Ramon defeats Dean Douglas. You know, I think hindsight 2020, we knew that was going to happen because of all the backstage drama between these two guys. But that's what happens. Razor Ramon defeats Dean Douglas, retains the title. Joseph, tell me what you think about this one. I like it. It got to be for me. I like the match. It was a very fun match. Razor Ramon spends like the first quarter of this match with his vest still on like he's Larry Bird. This is this is a lot of fun. I also really liked that there's the moment where you see on Razor's boot that he's got like a piece of tape and it says Sean, like like Sean died or something. But it's you know kind of the respect thing. I thought it's a really nice touch. There, everybody kind of knows. People don't really know that they're that they're really good friends at this point. The the audiences know, but they do know that they are. I wouldn't say bitter rivals, but very much respected rivals at this point. They've put on so many classics, and it's almost like, hey, I see you. I'm hoping that you're going to get better. I thought that was fantastic. This match get cut right when Dean Douglas is hitting a rope springboard splash. Like It gets cut from to commercial. So he's hitting this, this move, and it's a really impressive move from him. And right as he's about to hit it, they just cut it. And it's like, okay, you guys actually tape these ahead of time. Like you could have planned when that happened and you chose that. So then they come back and they have to replay it again. And it's like, that was so much cooler in the moment. This is just, this is really bad. It also leads me to believe that Vince and Jerry do their commentary in the booth because they actually reference this during the break. They actually reference it, even though they cut at that point, they reference the cut and the move, which which makes me think they've got to be doing all this stuff post match, like whenever they do it, just going into a booth, sit there and just recording these lines together. Overall, the match is fun. It's not great. It's not bad, but I liked it. Got to be from, you know, you raise the interesting point about them recording it after the fact in a booth, which I mean, why not? No one in the audience hears it. It's not piped in to the arena. So why couldn't they? But isn't that interesting? If they're just sitting there silently watching these matches, that's kind of weird, but they could. And why wouldn't they? Razor Ramon and Dean Douglas are good wrestlers, though. And the match was a good match. I enjoyed it. You're right. It, it was a, It's a weird cut. I wonder if, because Dean Douglas isn't long for the company. He's gone pretty soon, if I recall. And I wonder if they know he's on his way out or if they just don't care. Because, yeah, what a, what a place to cut. It's so weird. It's just like 
it's kind of disrespectful. And everything we know about about Dean Douglas and his run-ins with the click backstage, I don't know. It just I, I maybe I read into these things too much, but I'm always kind of looking at these things going, ah, eh, they really don't like this guy. Or 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 he's he's done. Like he's, you know, they they were pushing him and now not so much because he's losing a lot. And now he's losing. But the match was good. You got two guys with good technical ability, know how to put on a, you know, do wrestle in the ring, have a story, do, progress a story. Good match. It was fine. I got I got no beef with it. What I do have beef with though, Joseph, is we got Brother Love again. And in my notes here, I have Brother Love again. I don't want to talk about this. Kick it to Joseph. Joseph, tell me about Brother Love. Brother Love calls King Mabel Brother Maybell. So that's that's the thing. I I was thinking about doing an impression, but I just don't like Brother Love enough to do an impression. He does point out that he doesn't have Sermo, and then that Mabel and Taker are going to have a casket match in your house. And Mabel, I will say, is actually doing pretty well in this promo. He's clear and concise. And, you know, whether or not what he's saying is really that important, at least he's saying it with, you know, kind of authority. And I, I enjoy that. But Brother Love has a surprise for King Mabel, who does not like surprises. And this is where the wheels off this whole thing. I mean, they weren't really on. But this is where, like, the spokes fall off, too. Like, now it's just handlebars at this point. The surprise is a casket, which is pushed by a cloaked Sermo. We're not supposed to know it's Sermo, but it's fairly Sermo. I mean, Sermo's got a very distinct body shape. It's clearly him. And the entire time it's getting pushed over, King Mabel keeps shouting, I don't like surprises. Finally, they reveal that it's Sermo. And everyone is shocked except for nobody. It's not interesting. And then they say, well, actually, it's two surprises from Brother Love. And the surprise is a casket customized for Mabel, which I think would actually be pretty interesting, except for it's just the same run-of-the-mill casket they've been using for Undertaker for forever. And they just spray paint it out where it says Undertaker, like it's just an X, and it just says King Mabel. It's an F+. I thought the Mabel side of things was not bad in this, but I just I loathe the brother love gimmick to its core. So I can like none of it. I'm just I'm scorched earth about it. It's all bad. I want nothing more to do with it. And we're moving on. After that, we have a promo. Razor Ramon has Marty Gennetti's back against Sid. Well, that's good to know. It's good to know. Then we're told there will be a Raw Bowl in January. Very exciting. Buy Undertaker and Diesel cutouts, only $25 plus $3.95 shipping and handling. Joseph, what do you think about these two segments? They're fine. I mean, they're just promoting. WWF self-promotion is fantastic, isn't it? It is. You know, they're good. You know, give credit where credit is due. They know how to shill product. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, it's a business and it just it's very 90s. Like, I don't think you could do that today. People would get upset. Oh, they do. Oh, no, oh, they, they do. do. Oh, yeah. And, God and people them. do. No, people do get upset. And I honestly laugh at those people. You, you got to have people buy your product or else. How are you going to make money? Yeah, they're great at self-promotion. It's it's fantastic. I love it. God bless them. I, I don't mind. It. I don't mind it at all. 
it's fun. Like it amuses me. It's very, it's very kind of, I mean, th- these products are very kind of nineties, the selling. I mean, the whole thing is nineties, obviously, cause it's in the nineties. So it's maybe it's a nostalgic thing. Maybe if I was watching it now, maybe I wouldn't like it as much, but it works for me. I'm fine with it. We don't have karate fighters anymore, which is disappointing, but we'll just have to make do. And they'll have some new thing that we'll get excited about like pogs or whatever. So we just have to wait for it. I'll, I'll give you a teaser. I'll give you a teaser. Give it to me. I'm pretty sure it's next week. Next week, I'm going to get hyped about some products. Do I? God, I'll have to check and see if I even have that down here. If not, I might have to go put that into my notes. We'll have to devote a whole segment to it. <laughs> but that's next week. This week, though, we're up to the main event. We got Marty Janetti versus Sid. And this one is wild, too. We got one, two, three kid trying to interfere, but Razor comes out and chases him away. This causes the referee to end the match. It ends in a no contest and said power bombs Marty Jannetty anyways. Joseph, what do you think about this one? I think that I'm actually starting to enjoy Psycho Sid. I think when he wrestles people who are, you know, smaller I mean, you know, just about everybody's smaller than him, but I mean, you know, kind of the, the, the speedy guys who are really technically proficient and Marty Janetti definitely fit, fit, you know, fits that bill. I think he does a really good job with them. He's done well with Marty Janetti. He's done well with Owen Hart. He's done well with Shawn Michaels. Those kinds of matches. I think Psycho Sid does a good job and he really gets to kind of be the big bruiser and he plays well off them. Like, I think if you if you took Psycho Sid right now, dropped him in WCW and had him wrestle Eddie Guerrero, we'd be talking about what a great match we're watching. The segment is fine. It, it, it's actually one of the better segments of the night. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I like that it's, you know, I mean, Razor Chasing Kid is honestly hilarious, and I think it's good. They're continuing that storyline as they probably should be. Sid eventually wins. You know, he he's the he's the dastardly heel, but he wins. It was a little bit difficult to envision Marty Jannetty toppling him. But I will say one thing. This is kind of a hot take. I like Ted DiBiase a lot, especially, you know, the million dollar character when he was really a wrestler. I thought it was what a lot of the things he did were really, really well done. I've seen bits and pieces, not a lot of his work in the territories before WWF. I think he did a really good job at that point, too. I don't think on screen because I don't know what's going on behind scenes. I don't know if he's coaching one, two, three kid and Sid. I don't know how that relationship's working. It may have been a very good working relationship for them, but on screen, I don't think he's doing anything. Any of the wrestlers that are in his corporation, nothing he's doing makes me want to watch them. Nothing he's doing. Make them look better. He's just there. And his corporation is kind of unbearable. And again, why isn't Dean Douglas part of this corporation? That would make it so much better. So it gets a B for me, but I left it with a bit of a hot take at the end. Yeah, the corporation doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just kind of a hodgepodge of wrestlers that I guess they couldn't think of anything else to do with. So they just put them in the million dollar corporation. So yeah, it's just they're here. Okay. I I don't get it either. You're, you're right. I, I also like Ted DiBiase. I also like the idea of the Million Dollar Corporation. I like that he just buys talent and they wrestle for him. I like the idea. It just it doesn't really serve a purpose, though. They're not really doing anything with it. It's just there. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I like the match. You're right. I thought it was good. And I honestly, I really like Sid's powerbomb. He's got a good powerbomb. I, li- I like watching that powerbomb. 
And Marty Jannetty is is a good wrestler. He he's quick. He's he's fluid. He's got a lot of good technical stuff. I thought together they wrestled a pretty good match. Overall, it was you know it, it's between of of WWF Dean Douglas, Razor Ramon, Marty Jannetty, Sid. Better, better match of the night. Probably Razor Ramon, Dean Douglas, but I don't think this one's that far off from being the best match of the night. Because I mean, the first two were squash matches, so it's really these two to choose from. And well, I think Razor Ramon, Dean Douglas takes it for WWF. Marie Jenny and Sid, not a bad match. I really can't complain. After this, though, Joseph, comes the terrible news. Are you sitting down, Joseph? Are you sitting down? I am sitting down. Hit me with it, Scott. Audience, if you're listening, I'm going to need you to sit down. Because we're going to hit you with some drama. Shawn Michaels' personal physician is here to tell us that Shawn may never fully recover. He says that Shawn may have to retire. Joseph, I don't think I can do this, man. You're going to need to tell him about it. I'm going to be brave for both of us. Thank you. Okay, okay. I'm going I'm to do it. <clears throat> so this segment is put together like an actual news report. This is actually kind of a very 90s news report of the day. And I think that's very well done, to be honest. Like you said, they highlight the seriousness of Sean's symptoms. They they bring in his his alleged doctor. I have no idea if it's really his doctor. And they let him talk about that not only is he hurt, but he could get hurt even worse if he comes back too quickly, which is kind of the reason he's here. And on top of that, if that's not bad enough, he says it may never be safe enough for Sean to go back to the ring. So now the audience is left thinking this man, this hero among men may retire. Vince closes the segment himself. He closes the segment with a very somber promo about the danger that the WWF superstars go through and how it's real. And I will say it's very corny, but I actually really like it. I thought it was really, really well done. It's very 1995. And I'm going to end this with another hot take. Scott, are you ready for this one? For this sizzling take? I'm not even over the last take. Go ahead, though. I've been all over Todd Pettengill in a negative way. You know this to be true. I think that when he does this kind of a segment, a news report kind of a segment, he's fire. I think he does a great job with this. When he's not being cartoony and he's not trying to make jokes that just don't land and he's presenting it like it's an actual serious matter, he does a phenomenal job. Gets an A-plus for me. And that A-plus is for you, Sean. It's for you. You were so strong, and I really appreciate it, man. But moving on, it served its purpose. I thought it was well done. You're right. It was well done. You know, this is the angle we're playing. Shawn Michaels hurt bad. He's going to make it. It's it's really the hero's journey. It's I think it's well done. You know, we you and I disagree a little bit about if we if they're making light of CTE or not. You think they you think it this might be kind of offensive making the way they're making light of CT. I think the fact they're just talking about it and they're taking it seriously for 1995 is actually pretty, uh, pretty, you know, respectable, but you know, I'm going to correct that a little bit. I I don't think they're making light of it. I think today, I don't know how you could do this kind of a segment in, in 2023. 
I don't know how you could do this kind of storyline without being seen as making light of it. I think for 1995, they don't mean any offense to it at all. Yeah, I think knowing what we know now, yeah, you hindsight 2020, you probably couldn't do it now. But back then when it wasn't really talked about, I think the fact that they're even kind of profiling it, they're taking it seriously, I, I think is is interesting. And in some respects, doing a lot more than the NFL and other uh, other sports, uh, you know, sports organizations were doing at this time. I mean, NFL was denying it even existed. And yeah, uh, and now and now if it happened, they would just put him back out there and let him get concussed again. There you go. Like the next game, four there days you later. You know, that's what not, they do. Not talking about any NFL decisions in particular. Do not sue us, Roger Goodell. But on that note, we got to get out of here. It's over. And I don't want to get sued, so I'm going to end that conversation. Tune in next week, though, to see WWF champion Bret Hart face Bob Backlund in a non-title match. Wow. I can't wait, Joseph. Can you? Should we just rate the shows and move out? Let's do it. What do you think? I look. I I really like the the kind of back portion of of Raw, but WCW killed it. They were far better. They're way better. Yeah, I I don't think there doesn't really need to be a discussion here. WCW clearly won, but who actually won, Joseph? What do the ratings tell us? What did Raw do? The the Nielsen for Raw. I'm very surprised by this. Is a 2.6 because they had a really bad show last week and they moved up and people wanted to see they saw that and they said man i want to see more because they beat nitro nitro gets a 2.4 wow. wow yep but that's it joseph that's all we got tune in next week when we'll talk about bret hart and bob Backlund. see ya bye guys Hey, everybody, it's Joseph. Did you like this podcast? Well, we hope that you did, and also that you join us every Monday for new episodes. You can listen to us on Spotify, and soon we'll explore other platforms to bring you episodes of the Monday Night Wars. Did you listen to this podcast and think, hmm, pretty sure they're wrong about that? Well, let us know. You can email us at mnwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's mnwpodcast at gmail.com. And correct anything we messed up. Don't worry, you won't bruise our egos. You can also give us suggestions, follow the show, or even just reach out to us on the following platforms. On Twitter, you can reach us at M-O-N Night Wars Pod. Again, M-O-N Night Wars Pod. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can reach us at Monday Night Wars Podcast. And finally, if you feel like supporting this podcast and also getting bonus content, you can follow us on Patreon at Monday Night Wars Podcast. For the low price of $2 a month, you get every episode of the Monday Night Wars and also every breakdown of every WCW and WWF pay-per-view during this era with more content to come. Again, and one last time, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We'll see you next Monday back here on the Monday Night Wars podcast.